The following program is brought to you by the Humble Farmer Bed and Breakfast in St. George, Maine. Thank you for listening. How do our friends in the medical community get their information? Ever wonder about it? Obviously, they get their information by various and in some various and sundry ways. My my wife Marcia, the almost perfect woman, just got home from seeing our doctor friend. Marcia says that our doctor told her that she just heard that I had a heart attack in December. How did our doctor know about this? Her father, who watches my program, saw me talking about it on television. Hi there, this is Clark Terry here, reminding you to pull your bearskins a little closer to the fire. That's it. <laughs> now you're talking to hey. Ah, Watch out for those snapping sparks. Everybody cozy? Now the good news is that you're in time for the humble farmer. You've worked hard all day, and you deserve to relax now. So stay right there and listen to the best of this kind of music.
Scott Hamilton and Chris Flory and his old buddies, Phil Flanagan. Coming to you on the Humble Farmer Program. We are broadcasting, as usual, from the solar radiant heated office of Humble Farmer Enterprises here in the heart of downtown St. George, Maine. Thank you for listening. One of my friends was wondering if he should start taking $1,500 from his Social Security when he is 62 years of age, or should he take $2,000 a month from his Social Security when he is 66.2 years of age? You see, you see, he has two clear choices here. Which one would you take? You know, if you think about this, it all depends, doesn't it? And if you think long and hard about it, the choice would be a simple one in, in many cases. If you smoke, it would probably be wise to start taking your Social Security as soon as possible.
Thank you for listening to The Humble Farmer. Radio friend Tim writes, I'm thehumblefarmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Radio friend Tim writes this on my Facebook page. He says that guns are perfectly safe as long as they are owned by conscientious people who always keep them unloaded in a heavy-duty lock container. If someone attacks you, hit them with a container.
Hamilton, thank you for listening to The Humble Farmer. I recently read somewhere that college grads do earn more in the long run, but only if the student was actually suited for college. Higher education is wonderful for many, but for another large percentage, employment opportunities lie in blue-collar work that often pays just as much. Ho, ho, ho. No news here. Plumbers, electricians, well, almost every, every blue-collar worker you can think of earns more than a school teacher in Maine with an MA and 25 years of teaching experience. As I recall, in some European countries, children who would be academics and those who would be technicians are separated before the kids in either group waste valuable years studying something for which they are not suited. And I think of this often. I know which group I'm in very well. No matter how much some of us study, we cannot retain the material covered. I could never pass tests. Like, well, I passed them. I got, got through the test, but I didn't do well on the test. I did best on writing. I could do good writing a paper, but I couldn't remember anything for the test. I could plagiarize, but I couldn't couldn't uh, remember anything. So I think of this often. Some of us, speaking for myself, some of us have no business in the halls of higher learning. And I will tell you from experience that the only good thing about having a mind incapable of retention is being able to read the same books over and over. Yeah, each time is an exciting new experience. Another fact is, Another factor enters into play in this ability to pay your own way in, in your society. Now, this is very important, and this is, we're talking here about your amount of physical endurance, your energy quotient. If you tire easily and find it impossible to complete simple tasks like painting the side of a house or writing a newspaper column, and you have a low IQ, well, there's two strikes against you. You and I know, you know this, you and I both know, we know many people who are not at all clever, who have done well economically just because of their I-think-I-can-I-think-I-can mentality and, of course, their ability to hang in there and work 18-hour days, seven days a week. At my little brother's 76th birthday party the other day, I said that it was remarkable that I was able to stand and repeat a mindless chore for three hours. This was last fall at window dressers. I helped make inside storm windows for the rich and poor alike. For every person who bought one, they gave three of them to families who couldn't afford them, who needed insulation in the house. Great thing, window dressers. I didn't think I could hang in with anything for that amount of time. Doing the same thing over and over for three hours was impossible for me. But I did it. Do you know what I'm talking about here? I'm the humble farmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. 
sounds like Dave McKenna. Thank you for listening. It's time to remind you that you're listening to The Humble Farmer. Thank you, thank you. With any luck at all, I'm here every week at this time playing old-fashioned music just for you right here on your favorite radio station. I'm thehumblefarmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Read in the Smithsonian Magazine in the dentist's office one morning. I was sitting there. Like any successful magazine, this Smithsonian is full of ads. Did you know that the eight-day New England foliage tour is $1,285 or so? $1,285 for eight days look at leaves in New England in the fall. Viewing the ancient ruins in some Middle Eastern country for the same amount of time is $6,580 or so. And you have to suppose that the extra $5,000 is to pay for the accompanying armed security guards. Now, can you imagine anyone paying $162 a day to look at red leaves dropped from the maple trees in my pasture? For those of you who are interested, oh, for those of you who are interested, have I got a deal for you? Recognize two names in this in this Smithsonian magazine, which pleased me. You always like to recognize someone's name that you're familiar with. Rosalind Franklin. Rosalind Franklin in very small print and Ariel Sabah in even smaller print. Not many people, you know this, not many people know much about Rosalind Franklin. If you do, you should feel good about yourself. Even fewer would recognize, of course, the name Ariel Sabah. Ariel was a humble farmer radio friend when he lived down in the Buxton area. Please send me a note and tell me that you lit right up that you too know about Rosalind Franklin. Or look her up, read about her, and send me a note to thank me for telling you about Rosalind Franklin. Oh, you know, I didn't realize till I looked it up just before I started talking about this to you. I didn't realize that Rosalind Franklin was born in Notting Hill. Notting Hill is one of my favorite movies. You've seen that movie, Notting Hill. I like movies with a happy ending, so that's why I like that. I, I avoid movies with sad endings. And, of course, I do that by reading the synopsis of any movie before I watch it. Be interesting. In a year, I want you to ask me, where Rosalind Franklin was born. And it'll be interesting to see if my short-term memory will tell me. Thank you. 
Scott Hamilton, I remember you. In Swedish, of course, you come at a day. In Norwegian, you huske day. My 92-year-old friend, Alden Bent, visited. He mowed the pasture lawn. I put the bag grass clippings around my rhubarb. I'm a mulcher. Do you believe in mulch? My wife, Masha, went to visit a granddaughter for the two days Alden was here. Listen to this. She was afraid that Alden and I were going to starve to death in her absence. She's a provider. She doesn't think that anybody can live unless she's putting food on the table for them. Think about this now. Alden and I have been eating for a combined total of 172 years. The two of us. 172 years Alden and I have been eating. And my wife was afraid that we didn't know how to forage for food. Let me tell you. For 20 years as a single man, I lived on spaghetti. And if I was 60, I could do it again. Now, because some people are picky with language, I'm not saying that now. At 80, I could live on spaghetti for another 20 years. With my genes, of course, the chances of my living to be 100 are pretty slim. Oh, if I were rich, what I'd do, I, I tell you, if I were rich, I would have bought two plastic models of human skeletons and had them collapsed across a dust-covered dining room table, clutching at a barren chicken carcass in order to greet my wife when she came home would have kept her from being disappointed.
Django. The object of my affection can change my complexion from what light to rosy red, something like that. How long has it been since you've heard that? Thank you, thank you, by the way, for listening to The Humble Farmer here on your favorite radio station every week at this time. I am right here playing playing old-fashioned music just for you. Thank goodness for the cough button on my machine. When I was in the dentist's office, a woman came in. This was early in the morning. This woman came in. I was sitting there. She came in. And this woman laughed. <laughs> she exchanged a few happy words with the woman sitting behind the desk there at the dentist's office. And I smiled at this woman when she sat down. And I said that when one was a married man, it was nice to hear a woman's voice saying pleasant things in the morning. <laughs> I enjoy saying silly things like that to strangers. Because I told my wife, Marsha, the almost perfect woman about it when I came home. And, you know, after th- almost 30 years of marriage, my wife still finds me to be mildly amusing. She knows that very few people take me seriously. And she said, I knew I'd done good because she said, you're very bad.
Hamilton 30 or 35 years ago. He was a youngster when he made that recording. And of course Phil Flanagan, Chuck Riggs, Chris Florey were with him, John Bunch, of course, on piano. One recent morning at the Veterans Administration, Dr. Karen tested my ears She said there wasn't much change in my ears from the last time I was there, six, eight, ten years ago. She she tested me, took me into this little acoustic cell-like place, little padded room. And I went into one of those little padded acoustic rooms in Bucharest in 1967 at the International Congress of Linguists. And at the time I was kind of worried. You know, I was a delegate at this convention, but I was still kind of worried when they took me into this little padded cell room with microphone in it, I was afraid they might be about to exact a confession from me. You want to remember that Romania was a communist country back in 1967. I'm probably, I get thinking about this, I'm probably the only person Dr. Karen tested this week who could write a definition of a phoneme or who knew how to produce, upon demand, a voiceless labiodental fricative. And Dr. Karen said that these new hearing aids they were making nowadays are better. And I told her, I said, no, I don't want new hearing aids, just have new hearing aids. I only want new hearing aids if they will improve my understanding of language as she has spoke. In a couple of weeks, I'll go back up and get fitted. She tested me, and I'll go up and get fitted for them. And how happy I will be. Can you imagine this? How happy I'll be if I can simply sit where I am and not have to jump up and run into the next room every time my wife, Marsha, the almost perfect woman, articulates a question or barks a command. She told me, Dr. Karen told me, I get to keep the old hearing aids as a backup. And I got to wondering if either one of them would fit my little brother, because he could use hearing aids. The new ones I'm getting are little round things that plug into anybody's ear. And the ones I have now, the older ones, are made from a plastic mold that they poured into my ear. It's fitted just to my ear. And I've been thinking about this. You know, if my brother really wants to hear, 
Don't you want to bet that he can make them fit? from 1930, even before my time, my child. That was before me, 1930, Ted Williams. Oh, sing a happy little song. We all see things through our own eyes. You know this. A Facebook friend posted a picture of Penobscot Bay taken from the top of Mount Batty in Camden. Ooh, ooh, ha, hooray. Everybody is expected to exude platitudes about the cloud formations and, and whatever's in the picture. What? Let me tell you this. What I saw in the picture was Curtis Island at the mouth of Camden Harbor. In 1955, 
when I was in the Coast Guard, I had to put sacks of coal on my back down to the shore, get out of a boat, lug these sacks, put this sack of coal on my shoulder, and lug it up this steep hill to the lighthouse there on Curtis Island. Now, do I need to tell you that I have opinions on Curtis Island and Penobscot Bay, where I was stationed for two interminable years? Good news, friend. The wheel turns slowly, but it turns. Around 60 years later, the Veterans Administration gave me two hearing aids that cost more than my entire salary for two years that I served in the Coast Guard. When you're old, my child, you know about these things. You have a different outlook on life. This is good news, and here is more good news. If you are madly in love with someone who won't even give you the time of day, do not slash your wrists in despair. Do not cry, weep, and moan. Do not lose weight. There's a very good chance, listen to this, there's a very good chance that 50 or so years later, whatever remains of your dearly beloved will turn up on your doorstep, knock in, knock in, with unbridled desire at your portal. And if you peep out from behind your curtain, you will see nothing there that will inspire you to unlock the door.
Scott Hamilton. Time for a couple more. Thank you for listening. With any luck at all, you know I'm here every week at this time. Right here on your favorite radio station playing old-fashioned music just for you, little public service announcement. Beware of the clothing donation scam. Our friend David just received a call from a charity asking him to donate some of his clothes to the starving people throughout the world. (laughs) He told them to buzz off. Anybody who fits into your uh, average American's clothing certainly isn't starving. Perhaps a hundred years ago, somewhere in St. George, Maine, old Granny would want to visit Sarah. So they'd put her Granny's bonnet on her, they'd put Granny's bonnet on her, and they'd lug Granny around the house a couple times in her chair. And they'd set her down, and someone would say to her, Oh, I'm so glad you came, Granny. And then they'd chat with Granny for a while. And after they thought Granny had enough, they'd lug Granny back around the house so she'd think she was home. And for generations after that, when anyone in that family was just puttering around, not doing anything of importance all day, 
They'd say they'd spent the day visiting Sarah. I'm Robert Scoglon, the humble farmer. Thank you for spending the last few minutes with me visiting Sarah. (laughs) Thank you.